if you've been here in recent weeks, we're currently in the middle of a series um, looking, focusing on the topic of our hallmarks. Um, these are words, um, phrases that describe what we aspire to be like as a church. And in this series, we're particularly looking at the way that Jesus, in particular, modelled and praised and taught these particular virtues. And you can see them, the, the hallmarks, if you can read really well, at the bottom of that slide, outward-looking, compassionate, and so on. And this week, we've got to the theme of naturally supernatural, which is a phrase that's kind of been knocking around the vineyard for a few years now. Most people attribute it to John Wimber. Um, and so I'm going to show you a clip of him. This is him teaching back in the 1980s about his conviction and his aspiration um, that Christians could do the supernatural stuff that we read about Jesus and his disciples doing in the Bible. So let's watch John now. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Do you like that one? Huh? How about it? Do you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few and cast out a few demons and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, <laughs> isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. <laughs> we never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Did he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. 
It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Great stuff. So in the years since then, obviously, the decor and the outfits have changed. Um, got quite a case of lectern envy, actually, after seeing that big envy lectern that you had. But in the vineyard, what hasn't changed is our desire to pursue Jesus in this and this belief that we can be naturally supernatural. Recently, in fact, just um, a friend, uh, a member of the church called Pete, got chatting to uh, a neighbouring um, plane passenger when they were travelling, and they, um, they, she asked where he was off to, and he explained that he was on his way to a vineyard conference. And so she said, well, what's, what's the vineyard? And so he, he remembered this, and he, and he said, well, the vineyard came about after this guy opened a Bible, looked at all the things Jesus said, and said, when do we get to do that stuff? And so she was interested, and... And it naturally led him to her asking, so is there anything I can pray for you? Have you, got any, have you got any pain in your body at the moment? And she said, well, yes, actually, I've got a pain in my knee, a knee injury. And so he prayed for her knee there and then, and it immediately stopped hurting. In fact, the pain was still gone when they got off the plane in the other hemisphere. And so today I want to talk about what it means to be naturally supernatural like that. And I appreciate that for some, perhaps especially if you are visiting today, um, that word supernatural is perhaps a slightly unsettling word. You know, if you're here visiting for the first time, you might be thinking, what have I come along to? And if that's you, spare a thought for the person who has invited you along, who's now like, why are we doing this topic today? (laughs) Why would we talk about the supernatural? And why would we believe that this stuff really happens today? Well, I want to suggest that if you do what John did and you read your way through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, by the time you get to the end of those Gospels, The natural question is not, you know, why would you expect this to happen? It's more, why wouldn't you expect this to happen today? And I just want to try and illustrate this by just dashing through the gospel sort of picture. So at the start of Jesus' ministry, if you read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus arrives at a synagogue um, in Galilee, and at the start of his ministry, he says these words. They're the words that are on that piece of art over there. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So basically, he was telling everybody, get ready to experience my kingdom. You are going to see justice and provision, especially for the poor. You're going to see peace and unity um, to be established on earth through God's people. You're going to see also supernatural things. The blind are literally going to have their eyes open. And as you read on through, this is exactly what happens. In fact, um, a few chapters later in Luke, John the Baptist sends some of his followers to check out what Jesus is up to. And Jesus sends this report back. He says, go and tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And so what's begun to happen is that Jesus has started talking about it and he started doing it. And this is the picture um, that we begin to see. Now then what happens after that is that then Jesus, then it starts to ripple out to others. He sends his 12 disciples out to go and do this stuff too. Um, And we read about this in Matthew chapter 10. 
He tends them out and he sells them to go and drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then a little bit later on, we read how he sends out a broader ministry team now of 72. Um, And this time, um, he sends them out and he says, go and, and heal the sick. And we read that they come back super pumped up about what's happened, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And then, as you carry on through, by the time you get towards the end of the Gospels, Jesus has enlists and ropes in not just the 72, but in fact, all of his followers. John 14, the verse that's on the screen, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. It's an all play. And again, um, towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, he, he gathers his disciples together and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, and he continues, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. So in other words, everyone is going to go and do this stuff. So this is the pattern that sort of builds up. And I guess it'll come up on the screen. This is, I guess, what, what, what John Wimber saw. As we go from the top to the bottom, you got that triangle? Yeah, here it is. It starts with Jesus, and then it cascades out as more and more people get enlisted and roped in. And at each stage of this, The kingdom work that they're equipped and enlisted to do involves not just stuff like feeding the poor and fighting for justice, that's part of it, but we also see supernatural stuff too. Stuff like healing from sickness and even death. Stuff like deliverance and freedom from sin and from the influence of um, an, an oppression of Satan, God's enemy. And we believe that this is the pattern that Jesus established and that Jesus' followers today get to do this stuff. For example, um, we have a team here who are part of, the, part of the church who go regularly into the town centre, into Market Square, offering to pray for people for healing. And they see cool stuff happening, you know, all the time. Whilst um, out with the team recently, there was, there was one church member um, who, when they started to, the, the session, they were doing the prep, um, or what, the briefing at the start, and she started to experience vertigo symptoms. Um, and she also had pain in her elbow, and she was experiencing fibromyalgia symptoms. She explained, I propped myself up against the door to prevent myself from fainting, so it was quite acute. However, Esther, who's part of the team, prayed for the vertigo to go, and it literally went. Um, I felt rejuvenated, and despite the rain, I was able to hold a brolly with no pain in my elbow as well. What a bonus. In fact, a short while later, she and another lady then prayed for a guy they met on the street called Stephen, who had some disc pain, and as they prayed for him, his pain left too. In preparation for this talk, I asked around for you know, other stories of examples of healing prayer that people have um, experienced recently, and the, uh, I heard about a member of Trent Youth who experienced pain, relief, and healing from an ear infection that they'd been experiencing. I heard about a lady who had shoulder pain on and off for six or more years, and she was prayed for during a service in this room, and the the pain completely disappeared. I heard about a girl um, who's part of Trent Youth who was embattled by mental health challenges, which were really having an impact on her life in quite significant ways. And a few days after being prayed for by her youth leader, she explained that she couldn't remember the last time that she'd been so free from anxious and intrusive thoughts. I heard a story about a professional boxer who's part of the church who'd hurt his ankle and he couldn't train for a bout that was coming up. And so his small group prayed for him and his ankle was healed instantly. It's probably a pretty handy thing to be part of if you're in that line of work, I guess, because, you know, healing for... 
We also believe God speaks to us today and imparts information to us beyond what we're able to see and know in the natural. We might talk, talk about it in terms of the words of prophecy. Recently, a lady um, invited a friend here who suffers from a lung condition which affects her breathing. And so um, somebody got up on the stage during the service and said, oh, I sense that there's somebody here who has a lung condition and it's affecting your breathing. Apparently, she had goosebumps all down her spine. It was a really significant moment for her. And we might, you know, hear that and be tempted to say, well, you know, was that God or was that just a coincidence? Well, our experience is that this happens often enough and significantly enough to conclude that God does speak in this way. So that's what I mean when I say supernatural. But I want to spend some time um, also talking about what it means to be naturally supernatural. And uh, I've got a few things that I suggest what naturally supernatural means, starting with the idea that naturally supernatural means do what comes naturally. Do what comes naturally. You know, if you think about in the, um, in the animal kingdom, when you've watched David Attenborough or whatever, and you see, you, know, you see a picture of an eagle soaring or a monkey swinging from tree to tree, or when you watch a cat, you know the way a cat just like jumps off a fence and just lands so gracefully? When they do these things, they're not doing things that they've learned on a course, are they? They're doing things that come naturally. It's instinctive. And what I want to suggest is that for Christians... Supernatural stuff is actually, it's in our nature. The Bible makes a pretty radical claim. It claims that when a person comes to follow Jesus, something changes within their very nature. Jesus described it as being born again, not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. And the claim of the Bible, this is um, from two Corinthians in the Bible, is that if, it says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here, our whole nature gets rewired by Jesus when we come to follow him, with Jesus as something of a model and a template for us. We believe that Jesus, all the stuff that he did, he did, it, he did some supernatural things, miracles and so on, but he was also thoroughly human. You know, we read that he got tired and he got hungry, he got thirsty. He was natural and supernatural. And in a book actually entitled Naturally Supernatural, a vineyard pastor called Gary Best, he, said, he, he puts it like this. He says, in becoming human, Jesus limited himself and operated in the same way that he expects us to, through complete faith, trust, and dependence on the Father. What, what Jesus demonstrated to us is that we too could be empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, said Jesus, to do all this stuff. We can be empowered by that same Spirit to go and do incredible things. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so I really believe that a Christian, we are the most extraordinary creatures. We're very much human with all the associated flaws and shortcomings, yet we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, and therefore empowered to do incredible things. We're natural, but we're supernatural, whether we realise it or not. And sometimes that's the thing. Um, one of our favourite family films is Rio. Has anybody seen Rio? It's a good film. Um, and it's about this pet parrot who's so domesticated um, by his owner that he, you know, he uses a toothbrush, um, but he doesn't know how to fly. And then he eventually, he unexpectedly gets dumped in the Brazilian rainforest. He has to figure out how to do what comes naturally. And I think that's sometimes a picture of what some Christians, what we can be like. Sometimes we behave more like animals that have been bred in captivity and we've forgotten or we've never learned 
that we can actually do this stuff. It should come naturally to us. And so when we hear about, you know, Christians who pray for healing or Christians who believe in prophecy, we might count ourselves out of that. We might assume it's for for special ones. But in the vineyard, we kind of hold this conviction that whilst there do seem to be some people who get particularly used by the Lord for supernatural ministry, we also believe that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to be involved in this. And that's why we talk about this all the time. It's why it's one of our hallmarks. It's why we do lots of training, and it's why you know every, every week when we do ministry down the front, part of the reason that we do it like this is, is practice. It's practice so that if we do it more and more here, it will become natural to us so that when we're out and about, we can get to do this stuff, and it becomes part of our everyday life. So that's the other thing that I'd say. Naturally supernatural is everyone, and it's everywhere, and it's every way. That's language that's borrowed from Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland strapline. We believe that supernatural ministry is not the reserve of special people or special occasions. For example, um, we like to encourage our kids um, to do this stuff. Um, this year, a, um, a bunch of team from Trent led the kids groups at Dreaming the Impossible, a big um, youth um, conference that happens each year. And with the kids, one, during one session... A child came to the front because they had, a, they had a prophetic word. They sensed that God was saying that somebody in the room had a right leg that was hurting. And another child who was in the room responded to that and said, yeah, that's me. And so the kids in the group, they gathered around and prayed for them, and their leg, the pain in their leg disappeared completely. In another session, um, they talked about the gift of tongues, and nine um, children in the room received the gifts of tongues for the first time. Um, after one of the sessions, one, one kid fed back. They said, this morning, when I got prayed for, I got the Holy Spirit. I felt a tinkle and a picture of God in my head. Love it. Another one said, when we were worshipping, I felt happy and warm inside, but I felt it in a calm way. I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like I was glowing. That's cool. We believe that everyone gets to play like that. And we believe that this stuff is not just about special occasions, but it's everywhere. You know, um, because I work for church and because so much of my time is spent around here and so many of my friends are Christians who are part of this church, when I do get out and about and I find myself amongst people outside the church, I, have to, I, I try to be really intentional about being naturally supernatural and get into conversations with people about God. But evidently I have to work on the, the natural part a little bit because um, a while back I was at a park with my kids and... Um, I saw this guy, who, and he kind of caught my eye. I thought, I'm going to try and speak to that guy. So I sort of sidled over to him, and my daughter evidently clocked what was going on because she just, like, rolled her eyes and just walked in the opposite direction. <laughs> and so I had this chat with this guy, and I can't remember. I think I ended up praying for him at the end. But when I caught up with my daughter, and I was like, where did you go? And she was like, Dad, it's so awkward. We can't go anywhere without you approaching some random person, and you say hello, and then as soon as they say hello back, you're like... So do you believe in God? Or have you heard about Trent Vineyard? She's like, it's too quick. So the optimist in me took some encouragement. At least they're seeing a willingness to have a go. But at the same time, I felt slightly chastised. I need to work on the natural aspect of being naturally supernatural. And that brings me on to another point, which is don't be weird. (laughs) If you're doing something that you know people are likely to find a little bit outside their comfort zone, We don't need to add additional weirdness to it, do we? So say, for example, you know, there's a friend at work who's got a headache 
and you pluck up the confidence to offer to pray for them, that's great. But, um, but when we do that, remember, we, we, we try and just use a plain English language and a normal voice. There's no need for a special spiritual voice to come out of nowhere. You use prayers that are simple to understand. God is, believe it or not, perfectly capable of understanding simple prayers, you know? And complex ones don't impress him. It's not like God's like, oh, I, I wasn't going to answer that healing prayer, but seeing as you've quoted Ezekiel, I will now. That's not how he works. Or say you're in your small group and you sense that the Lord wants to share a prophetic, you know, a prophetically through you. You know, you could, you know, go for it and hype it up a bit and be like, the Lord says, thus saith the Lord, behold, citizens of Beeston, the sovereign Lord declares the harvest is plentiful. You could do it like that. But we're more likely to say something like, I've got a sense that the Lord is saying the harvest is plentiful. And perhaps particularly for those of us who live in Beeston. We don't need to put on a persona or a facade. God isn't more likely to move if we hype it up. Naturally, supernatural means that when we pray for healing, we don't encourage people away from conventional doctors or medicine. We believe both are important. And if somebody experiences healing, we always encourage them to go and see a doctor and get it checked out before making any changes to medication. It's just about being sensible, being normal. One area where um, this idea of not being weird is perhaps particularly important is the whole arena of um, spiritual warfare and deliverance prayer because there's a risk with that topic that um, you know you can end up it's very easy to sort of veer on one hand into sort of an over spiritualized sort of almost morbid fascination with the demonic and that kind of stuff and then there's the risk on the other hand that we can flip the other way and because it is a bit sort of weird and and almost brush that bit of the bible under the carpet pretend it's not there because it makes us feel uncomfortable but In the vineyard, we hold the conviction that there is a a middle ground. We believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the devil is a reality and that part of the Christian lifestyle is resisting and defending ourselves against his his attacks, setting people from demonic oppression through prayer. Um, A while back, um, for example, somebody came down the front during ministry time um, requesting prayer. They sensed that they were um, experiencing a degree of spiritual affliction. And so bearing in mind what I'd read in Jesus, you know, the gospel when he sent out the 72, he sent them in pairs. I thought, it's good to have a buddy system, therefore, for this kind of thing. So I looked around for a buddy to pray for this person, and the nearest person that was available was Debbie. So that's a result, isn't it? I was like, great, Debbie. So she came over, and we prayed for this lady. And um, Debbie just prayed really simply. She just prayed calmly, quietly, but with a gentle authority. She prayed using Jesus' name for freedom for this lady. Um, and she said, you know, she spoke to any, she said any sort of afflicting spirit or influence would leave now in Jesus' name. And the lady explained that she could physically feel something stirring and moving. And as we continued to pray, eventually lifting from her. The whole thing was, it wasn't weird. It was supernatural, I believe, but it was thoroughly natural. Being supernatural, naturally supernatural doesn't mean apologizing for or suffocating what God is doing. But what it does mean is that if we're doing something that people might find perplexing or puzzling, it's helpful to explain what we're doing as we go. Sometimes people shake when they encounter God. And so when that happens, we might just explain, oh, God is powerful and it's likely that that person is experiencing God's power right now. Or sometimes people cry out when they're being prayed for. And we might explain, well, that happens sometimes when God is dealing with some pain in the past. That might be what's happening there. What I'm saying is a simple explanation like that 
can be the difference between somebody being completely perplexed by what's going on and actually having a sense and engaging with what God is actually doing. So it helps to explain. Final thought, naturally, supernatural means we acknowledge that God's kingdom is both now and not yet. Now, one obvious question when we, when we talk about this kind of stuff is that if it's true, if God does really heal today, why do we need hospitals? Because, you know, if God uses Christians to heal, why can't we just get Christians to pray for everybody and they'll be better? And the truth is there isn't a simple or a neat answer to that question. To do that question justice would take a sermon of its own. But in the most simple terms, we could begin to uh, sort of like attempt to answer that question by highlighting that, that we believe that we live right now, our lives, at a point in history between the time when Jesus first came and his kingdom first arrived and the time when Jesus has promised that he will come again and his kingdom will arrive and will return in all of its fullness. We, be- we live between the time when Jesus won a victory over sin and death and Satan and the time when Jesus will come again in the future and put those things to a permanent end. And because of that, we believe that God's kingdom has both come and is also at the same time yet to come. And that's a, a mystery and a tension. But the practical implications of that is that sometimes when we pray for stuff, things happen. And sometimes when we pray for stuff, it doesn't. Sometimes we pray for healing. We long to see people get set free. And they don't. Sometimes when we prophesy, we know that our words carry flaws. They're not completely cast iron, guaranteed perfect. They need to be weighed and considered and judged against what the Bible says. And we don't get to understand fully why that does and doesn't happen on particular occasions. But it does mean that we have to acknowledge that we're human. And that's one of the reasons why we try to be naturally supernatural. But whilst we acknowledge that, we acknowledge that we're human, we also at the same time remember that we're not, as the saying goes, only human. We believe that our nature, those of us who are Christians, has been rewired by Jesus that this stuff is actually in our nature and that Jesus has empowered us and commissioned us to go and do this stuff. And we don't want to be like those animals that are bred in captivity, unable to do what's actually supposed to come naturally. We believe that Jesus has sent us, saying, as he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so we desire to be naturally supernatural. Supernatural. 